What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica. Meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Mortada El Fadi. Welcome to Sundays with Kate, the podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. Every time we choose a Kate Blanchett film and I discuss it with a guest. I'm going to start with a programming notice um, for this week's episode. Just because of some commitments I have during the months of April and May, I am going to a bi-monthly podcast. So it's going to be every other Sunday. So apologies for people who have been waking up Sundays to spend time with Kate Blanchett. It will have to just be every other Sunday. <laughs> so I'm very excited to welcome to the podcast writer and critic Ella Betancourt. Um, Ella, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me on the podcast. Oh, you're welcome. I have been um, a fan of your writing and I'm very excited to talk to you today about Jim Jarmusch's 2003 movie Coffee and Cigarettes. Let's do it. But since this is a Kate Blanchett podcast, I just want to start by asking you about your impression of her. Just generally, yes, no. What, what do you think of when you think of Kate Blanchett and her performances? I love her. I mean, and for so many various reasons, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, I don't, I don't even follow. It's interesting because I don't even follow the Hollywood cinema, but I that much. Um, on kind of on my daily viewing and what I love to watch on my own. But she has such a range that, you know, that that you kind of end up loving the films that she brings that kind of star power to anyway, primarily based on what you might have seen in smaller movies. or And I got to, from my New York, you know, kind of obsessive, going to ban years for all the theater festivals, Mm-hmm. You know, I got to also see her in Streetcar Named Desire. And that was kind of cool. I don't even remember how many years back. It was probably quite a while back. But um, and that's interesting because I do recall, I mean, I do recall that even there, like there were certain directorial choices that were made for her and like how she was staged that I didn't necessarily love. But even there, I mean, it's such a theater, is such a difficult test for actors who don't do a lot of theater but have done a lot of cinema you know because in the cinema you've got this kind of close-up thing and sometimes actors are very caged in and kind Mm -hmm. of are not able to find the kind of expressivity of your body on stage but I I don't know I I remember her being quite entrancing and um, as always so yeah that was that's one of my memorable remembrances of Kate yeah I mean that she did it, that she did it well. Yeah. She actually, I think, thinks of herself mostly as a theater actor because she started with the Sydney Theater Company. And then she took almost a decade of the movies to run the Sydney Theater Company, which was part oh of when God. she, she, she did. did so when was this? So this was around the time she did, right after she did Street Streetcar, which I also saw at BAM. And it was, I was just, you know, a, it was an amazing um, production and she was really great in it. But so from, I think, 2008 until 2013, she was running the Sydney Theatre Company. And in that time, she didn't make that many movies. And so she was concentrating mostly on theatre. 
And I have seen her every time she came to New York. Um, she did the maids with Isabel Huppert. I saw that. She did the present on. Yeah, I would love to have seen that. I would have killed her because I, I saw, I mean, I also got to see Isabel Huppert in, uh, in Sarah Kane's, one of Sarah Kane's plays, like separately in Psychosis, mm-hmm. right? I saw her yeah, in yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to see them together. Oh my God. That staging, I wasn't in love with the staging. It was Benedict Andrews who, who has all this flair for like putting lots of cameras on stage and lots of movement. I wasn't in love with the That's staging. Thing, right? it's, it's the latest thing. It's the latest yeah. thing that's not so latest. I mean, that's like a trend that sort of had, like, has at least 15 years behind it already. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I wasn't in love with that production. But yes, she and Isabel Huppert and also Elizabeth Debecky who was the third actor in that um, production, were all great. But yeah, Streetcar is basically, I think it's one of my favorite ever stage performances that I've seen. I'm biased, obviously. <laughs> I wish that like BAM had, uh, had its theater recordings, and I don't know if there's like question of rights, obviously there probably are, right? But I wish that like so much more theater was available to us, you know, via streams. I mean, I, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot. Mm-hmm. But like for example, BAM, like just the history of uh, you know of the theater festivals would have been yeah. amazing. I mean, the actors. National Theater in London is very good at that. They always have the recordings yeah. and they put it out, which they put the streetcar with Gillian Anderson. But yeah, I don't know. And this is a Sydney Theater um, Company production, so they're not that good at it yet. I don't, haven't seen anything from them. Yeah. Yeah, but so, that's what I think of Jude. I think she's phenomenal. She is. She's really phenomenal. And um, so we're going to talk about um, coffee and cigarettes. And, you know, if we were talking about a persona of a star, this is like sort of the perfect movie to talk about that because she plays a version of herself in this movie. Um, so um, if you don't know Coffee and Cigarettes, it's Jim Jarmusch's vignette or anthology movie that was released in 2003. It's a few, it's a few, vignettes where two or three characters sit around and talk while they're drinking coffee and smoking. And the vignette that Kate's in, which is called Cousins, she plays herself or a heightened version of herself as Kate Blanchett, the movie star, meeting with her cousin, Shelley, in an LA or New York, it's not clear, but somewhere in America where there's a film junket, but she takes time off from the film junket to meet with her sort of ne'er-do-well cousin and she plays both characters she's Kate Blanchett and she is Shelley um and that's sort of where the fun comes in in that um in that uh vignette hi so nice to see you me too it's been ages yeah yeah I mean last time what it was a couple of years ago in Sydney wasn't it really was that two years ago Mm. wow (laughs) So, you're not with uh, Mr. Kate and the baby on this trip? Uh, no, no. Unfortunately, not by myself. I'll see it next week. But before we jump into the movie, uh, into Kate's performance, Ella, what do you think of Coffee and Cigarettes in general as a film? Yeah, so, I mean, I have to say it's been ages since I saw, I mean, ages. It's a 2003 film, so it shouldn't even feel like ages. But, yeah, it's been a long while, so it's nice to kind of rewatch it. And to remember, you know, and it's been a while since I saw a Jim Jarmusch film. I mean, I think, I mean, I did, I did see Patterson, but um, I think the, the last um, film I really loved was Only Lovers Left Alive. Mm-hmm. That's a while. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's actually refreshing 
you know, and I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to sound cliche and say, you know, the, the usual stuff, the pandemic and being on lockdown and makes us look at things different and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, it has this other kind of, um, not sentimental, but, you know, there, there's some kind of like a emotional time loop value, right? Because the way he's also kind of has this quirky portrait of, oh, you know, our generation of cigarettes that's kind of all done and 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 obviously he kind of like very neatly wraps it up in uh, in movie history as well right mm-hmm. all meeting at these kind of dingy cafes and it's all quirky and casual and weird but you always feel the presence of like the movie and film and television industry all around you because these characters are so tied to it or some of yeah. them and, yeah. and to like the entertainment and musicians and the kind of la vibe i guess so, yeah. yeah, I have to watch it. And he he always casts cool people. Like I think even oh. when, <laughs> yes. when when he did a movie that about you know quote unquote ordinary people like Patterson was the two ordinary right. people were Adam Driven and Golshifta Farhani, which yeah, is like yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> very cool choices to play. And only love is left alive. He didn't go for the ordinary. He just said, you know, let's do. Let's do Tilda Swinton, like, writ large. Let's do it. You know, let's go big. So I guess it was kind of not so ordinary. Although, I mean, some of those scenes, I guess, um, the kind of landscape, right? And it's Detroit, right, the film? The film is set in Detroit, yeah. Right. So this kind of, like, post, you know, post-industrial landscapes, torn down kind of stretches of housing and all of that. That felt very... That's all beyond ordinary, obviously, and the kind of vampiric schema that that was kind of like also commentary on America, writ large, yeah. which which he does in like much tinier, much more fleeting ways than in coffee and cigarettes. Yeah, and the thing with coffee and cigarettes, like you know, talking about how he always casts cool people, like he has Iggy Pop, he has Tom Waits, he has Kate, he has Bill Murray, he has. Reza and Jizza from the Wu-Tang Clan. So it's really like cool artists from, you know, from pop music, from rock, you know, movie stars like Bill and Kate. And there is um, comedian Steve Coogan and even somebody like Alfred Molina, who is not a star like Bill and Kate, but he's somebody who's very magnetic to watch on screen. And it's kind of interesting how like, because some of them, I mean, there really are skits, right? Like mm-hmm. two or three characters come on and, you know, it's not the same cafe, it's like different places, but it's always the same kind of, you know, a table, chairs, and the camera that's kind of like, you know, gaping at the table from, mm-hmm. you know, from the up, you know, upward, I mean, downward looking perspective. And that it's interesting, like how some of these skits are more about the conversations themselves and the kind of rhythm of language and how it mm-hmm. is weird when a stranger costs you in a cafe that could happen anywhere that's also very New York in a way, but it's very LA, it's very urban. Someone comes up to you and suddenly you're having a conversation, but it's not quite sticking together. And then other of the skits or like other parts of the skits also mm-hmm. seem to be about like people who are very aware who they are, right? Like that's yes. really nothing. The kind yes. of, you know, one actor meets another actor and they're immediately kind of judging where they stand in the hierarchy, like, you know, who's cool enough to talk to and, 
and all this stuff. So it's interesting. I mean, and then the Iggy Pop and, and uh, you know, Tom Waits also has that, right? Like hurting each other's egos and yeah. kind of like who's cooler. There's a lot of that stuff going on. It's joyful. I mean, it's, very, it's wonderful to watch. Yeah. I mean, what, what, if, if there is a theme that sort of emerged to me as I was watching this movie is that this is maybe about two people who meet for coffee and cigarettes and have a conversation, but maybe they, at the end, it ends in sort of a regret that maybe they shouldn't have had this meeting. There is always, a, I mean, the disappointment, I think, is mostly felt in the, in the Alfred Molina, Steve Coogan vignette, which is about Alfred Molina being a fan of Steve Coogan and wanting to collaborate with him. And Steve Coogan is like, no, I'm too cool for you. I'm a star. And then it ends from Alfred Molina goes from eagerness to disappointment in that vignette. And, and in the end, it's like, oh, you know, he doesn't, he wishes he's never met Steve Coogan. And a lot of it, a lot of those things were like that. Like uh, to me, like if there was one theme about it is that maybe these people shouldn't have had coffee and cigarettes. <laughs> right. Well, they definitely talk a lot about how they shouldn't. They sometimes talk about how they shouldn't have so much coffee. And most of the time talk about how they, at that you know day and age, they shouldn't even be having cigarettes, which is kind of funny because I guess he started doing it in 1986. But they yeah. would have been talking about yeah. cigarettes, but probably pretty frivolously. Yeah, no, but it's interesting that you pointed out that these are people who, that it ends with regret. Yeah, and I mean, it ends kind of enigmatically, right? Because the last two characters are much older and it kind of ends with a guy dozing off. Oddly mm -hmm. enough, these are the only two characters that feel comfortable enough with each other. Like we have arrived at this duo that is a little different than the others, which is nice. But yeah. you're right that like most of the time it feels like there is regret and um, and these are not necessarily friends meeting, right? So I think a director that's more straightforwardly interested in, in just kind of classic movie tension and classic narrative would have given us, you know, would have would have said, oh, you know, you need to have tension, you need to have risk, you need to have yeah. higher state. And, there's not that much at stake in most of these conversations. I mean, and the Molina one, yes, there is. Um, because there's a big reveal of, you know, these two guys who may mm -hmm. have been somehow actually connected right, by DNA and black ties and so on. But um, most of the time, it's, even though, it's interesting in that sense, even the cousins when they meet, right, which is the Kate Blanchett's that um, skit, there's not that much at the end of the day that connects them. I mean, they're family, but at the end of the day, they're really strangers, strangers. Yeah, they don't have much in common. What I also sort of noticed, another theme, is that most of these people sort of play themselves or a version of themselves. Like Kate is definitely going for a heightened version of herself, but somebody like Bill Murray is just being Bill Murray, or at least our idea no of Bill way. Murray. <laughs> yeah. He's very relaxed. I mean, Bill Murray is always Bill Murray in the movies, right? To the point where, like, Bill Murray almost cannot play anyone but Bill Murray, right? Now, yes. right? Um, but I think it's 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 partly like Blanchett theater staging that allows her to to make that contrast a little bit more heightened. Because yeah. I think that, I mean, I'm not saying it's it's in no way in no way her skit comes off as. Um, artificial, not at all, but 
it does feel a little bit heightened compared to the naturalism of mm-hmm. the other skits where clearly you have a lot of actors who kind of like come on, you know, come on the set and they're pretty much mostly playing themselves. She's playing two people. Mm-hmm. So rather naturally, she yeah. must have asked herself how she's going to do it. Although, of course, you know, um, the successful actress has the, the blonde hair and the unsuccessful rocker girlfriend. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, the long blonde hair and this kind of different edgy feel. But yeah. I mean, what you're saying is totally correct because she does like a com- she creates two completely different characters like even the Kate Blanchett character is not really her because it's a sort of like a version of her but there is also distinct two characters like not just the hair but even the voice like the one as Kate is more sort of an Australian continental accent while the one as Shelley is more sort of on the nose hard edge Australian accent and then the mm. voice is more breathy as Kate more affected while um as Shelley, it's it's sort of um, more low pitched, more sort of grounded. Um, like sounds like somebody who smokes twenty packs a day. Yeah, so they're, they're both smokers, but yeah, they have this very distinct. It's it's deeper. Mm-hmm. Those voices deeper, and yeah, and it's interesting because I mean, even before they speak, just the 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 first facial impression, you know, of of. Is it is the is the character's name Kate as well? Is yeah, it, she's called Kate at the end, right? Or Kate? So I guess Kate and Shelley. Yeah, Kate and Shelley. So yeah, I mean, when you see, I mean, Kate, it's interesting because even facially, I mean, it's a bit of a, I mean, the 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 is very brief, but it is a bit of a masterclass actually, <laughs> right? In yeah. acting, I mean, it's, it's in that sense, it's really wonderful and very worth watching. I mean, the film itself. It is a lot of fun, but um, that skit particularly, or that vignette particularly, his, um, yeah, even like um, Kate has all these very controlled facial movements. I mean, she's very frozen. She's very limited in what she emits as the actress, you know, who kind of, I mean, there's a certain smile. It's not. 100% 100% fake, but even towards her cousin, it's like very locked in. The facility with which kind of the lips immediately curve up into this kind of photogenic thing, and the hair is being fixed, right? Whereas the uh, when whereas when when uh, Kate Blanchett is playing Shelley, it's interesting because she chose like this whole array of like facial tics. I mean, that face is so much more animated, right? Yes, I mean, absolutely, yeah. She's like playing with her tongue. She's visibly rolling her tongue in her in her mouth. She's she's making faces all the time. Mm-hmm. She's much more vocal. It's wonderful to see, and also this bodily contrast, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the Kate Kate is Kate with a sort of perfect posture, mm-hmm. very rigid, almost. I mean, yeah, she's she's, she's sitting ramrod straight. Yeah, you know where there's this kind of affectation of cool. Like this performance that Kate is doing has none of that. It's a little bit rigid, but I think that that's what allowed her to to make these two characters really so contrasty in many ways, right? Because the other one, Kate Blanche's is Shelley. I mean, she's kind of all like her shoulders are right, are hunched down. 
she scrolls her legs. I mean, she has this yeah. kind of body language, very sloppy, comfortable, but also kind of awkward. Yeah. And this is one of the themes sort of that as I've been watching a lot of, re-watching a lot of her movies and talking to a lot of people about these performances on this podcast, it's one of the conclusions that we arrive is that she's somebody who uses the whole of her body in every performance and you and this is you know this 11 minute short movie which is actually available on youtube so if you don't want to watch all of coffee and cigarettes you can just go to youtube and watch cousins um oh really wow yeah. look at that shortcut <laughs> and you you will see this contrast in the in the in the how how she manages the body movements of both these characters like like we just talked you know the Kate movie star character is very sort of straight and rigid and sitting with not a lot of movement. The Shelley character is slouching in the seat. You know, her, she talks with her arms. Um, they're always, you know, flailing around. And, you know, even the way that she, even if you look at the way they hold the cigarette, it's very different. So even though this is sort of a short movie and I'm sure she probably made it in two or three days. Like there is a lot of work that goes into building these characterizations, which is something that I love about her as an actress. And I think if you look at some of her other sort of um, not straight big movies that she makes with Todd Haynes or Scorsese or Woody Allen or whatever, if you look at something like Manifesto, which was this installation where she played 13 characters, but then was released as a movie that this, this, movie reminded me a lot of that in that this is not just a collaboration with the director here is Jim Jarmusch it's also a collaboration with the makeup artist with the costumer to sort of create this character two characters in this movie and in Manifesto it was 13 different characters so I think this is one of the things that she loves to do um, and that always sort of come uh, come apparent in her performances yeah and I, and I love the idea that she did it right I mean that um you know, that she was up for playing the part of Shelley, which kind of the purpose of Shelley is just this constant kind of calling out bullshit. Yes. Right on the stardom. That, of course, is there also to hide a lot of insecurity and the need for validation and feeling extremely inferior. I mean, the whole thing is a joke, right? She's sort of poking fun at herself a little bit in that she created this other cousin, sort of like the... What if she didn't become this accomplished actress? Maybe she would have been Shelley. So it's like, and then Shelley sort of keep, keeps nudging her about her success. And, and Kate, the movie star, grows a little bit. While she remains throughout the skit always generous to her cousin, she's also like a little affected, a little maybe too much into the whole I'm a movie star thing. Like, you know, there is a little bit where she talks about how, oh, the paparazzi, they, they follow around, you know, what you call celebrities. And I'm like, that's sort of like a little bit of a nod into how, you know, it's it's just poking fun of, of herself as an actress, as a celebrity, as a movie star. There's some um, photographer paparazzi guys hanging around the front. I guess they uh, kind of follow you around, right? Oh, you know, whatever so-called celebrities are around, I suppose. God, that must be a real fucking drag sometimes, right? I mean, not like me. I'm free. <laughs> Practically broke, but I'm completely free. No one's stalking me, that's for fucking sure. <laughs> Except when they thought I was you. <laughs> I got into this club once because um, they thought I was you. 
And they found out I wasn't and they asked me to leave. Pretty fucking rude. Oh, don't get me wrong, I mean, must be fabulous, you know, you got it all, you got a good husband, beautiful baby, travel all over the world, stay in fancy hotels, parties. Yeah, well, you know what they say, the grass is always greener. Yeah, and I think also like in a, you know, in a very real, yes, very brief, I mean, um, but also a very kind of magnetic way, I guess it allows her to tap into what made her a great actress in the first place, right? Because she's done all kinds of roles and the roles where she had to tap in into some edgy stuff and some difficult roles, um, you know, that, that probably gave her many more opportunities to actually show her tops and to show her craft that she might have today if she takes on a kind of big Hollywood role, which, mm-hmm. you know, can be very limited. It's interesting because I, I, I saw I was looking up like what she would have done around that time because Coffee and Cigarettes is 2013. And then I saw that I guess it's the same year that she did. So Little Fish is the movie she did in 2004 where she, it's an Australian movie where she was a junkie. Yes. But it is oh, a year after this. Yeah. And it's incredible. I mean, she pulls no punches and like Little Fish, I mean, she really has to kind of that character spirals down, yeah, and has to have a lot of edge. And Verikagera in such a tough, smart performance, you yeah. know. So I think that, on the other hand, it makes sense that it would only kind of, in a matter of a flash, you know, she's able to go from this kind of glitzy thing to which she probably, as a as a surface, relates a lot less mm-hmm. to actually this other. Kind of, you know, harsh, truth-hitting, no bullshit, yeah. you know, character. And, and you know, that's, like, we, we have an episode on Little Fish, so if you're listening to this and want to know more about that movie, it's very little scene, but it is, it, I think it contains one of her best performances. And, and to what you were saying, Ella, it's definitely very gritty and unlike any of a lot of her movies. Because, like, if you think about when she plays Catherine Hepburn or where she plays Elizabeth or Carol, it's all these sort of very glamorous, exceptional women mm-hmm. who are always, like, you know, a monarch or somebody who, you know, at the top of their profession like Catherine Hepburn, you know, there's very accomplished, smart women, but, you know, in Little Fish, it, you know, the woman is definitely, uh, the character she plays is very, is definitely smart, but it's also very great. And she's dealing with being an addict and sort of dealing with circles, sort of unlike a lot of her performances and to do it in the same year after Coffee and Cigarette and actually right before she played Catherine Hepburn. Like, I think that the mid aughts were like a time where she was doing a lot of different things. And, you know, um, it's definitely great father for me as a fan, but also father for me as somebody who's doing this podcast. But I get to talk about all these different contrasts in her performances. Yeah, it would be, I mean, I would like to rewatch Elizabeth someday because I recall it requiring her being so austere in that role, right? I mean, in a way, whereas in Carol... She got to do all these shadings of like vulnerability. And then the Woody Allen movie, she kind of gets to do a contemporary version of, you know, of, of Blanche and Streetcar. And mm-hmm. That's how I relate really to that role. So, yeah, it's interesting that like each of those roles actually have a slightly different shading. And she, she managed to find a way to, to really live that. Yeah. And, 
and it's it's fun to watch sort of this this movie also reminded me i don't know la if you saw she did an episode of documentary now which is this spoof show and she played a version of marina abramovich and sort of got to recreate a lot of abramovich's um installations and career and she was also playing her with with a nod with sort of a silly nod to like is does art mean anything what does art mean um is our artists just you know all they do is hubris and they're in their own head so it's a very sort of fun i think if, if she takes what she did with jarmish here which is this sort of idea about you know what is an actress and, you know, is and poking fun at herself with this other character and sort of like expands on it with that and using sort of the same tools that she uses here, which is like, it's, it's a complete um, performance head to toe. Like she changes the way she looks, she changes the way she moves, she talk, changes the way she talks. She has, she makes her Hungarian. Um, so she has a Hungarian accent as her version of Marina Abramovich. So it's always these fun things that, you know, and again, documentary now like the this vignette cousins it's short it's a 30 minute sort of spoof um that's, that's just very funny but also she gets to do the stuff that obviously she likes to do <laughs> yeah and it must have been fun for her to like work with Jarmusch I wonder I I do I did it did make me wonder like um how much and I don't know if this is something that you know. I haven't seen anything like around the film. I haven't read any reviews that that mentioned that. But like, how much uh, the the actors actually contributed of to the screenplay? I mean, if this is just something that John was handed them, or you say, "Hey, we're gonna do, we want to, I do want to do this little vignette with you," and like we just write some lines, we'll kind of see what we could do. I mean, I'd be very curious because yeah. yeah. I haven't actually, in my research about this, I haven't found anything about that. But it's, I think it's a good point that you bring up because like some of them feel very scripted. Like a lot of them are just sort of hang around. Like the one with Bill Murray, I think it's sort of more naturalistic. It's sort of like hang around. The one maybe with Alfred Molina and Steve Coogan, maybe there was a, a story outline, but then those actors seem to be to just riffing off. But I would be interested to know what Kate had to work with because... She was working with herself and I'm sure there wasn't anybody to play off against. So she probably shot all of the scenes as one character and then all the other scenes as the other and they were put together. So I'm guessing, and this is just a guess, that maybe hers was a little bit more scripted than than the other ones. Um, And this is one thing that I sort of didn't like about Coffee and Cigarettes is that some of the vignettes were not as successful as the others and it depended on who was in Mm -hmm. them. And I think this is a great point because what you brought about, like how was it scripted or not? I think, for instance, the the Jack White and Meg White one is, I think, was one of the worst ones because they they talk about Nicholas Tesla, and then they just have they're not comfortable in front of the camera. They are very yeah. sort of yeah, they're mm-hmm. sort of their delivery is not engaging, and sort of you're just like waiting for it to end. Well, when you're watching Kate, it's like you're fun, you're enjoying her, even though all the conversations in, in this movie are banal. Like they just talk about coffee and cigarettes or how you're doing or did you get my, uh, my boyfriend's CD? It's, it's, it's just the way that people talk when they meet for coffee and cigarettes. It's not like anything that, that's beyond that. But I guess because of the charisma of the actors, in some of these, they take you through it. 
but in others, I just felt like um, um, I wasn't having as much fun. And one of my biggest surprises was the Iggy Pop Tom Waits one, because I was like, oh, Iggy Pop Tom Waits, this is going to be fun. But I think that was one of the ones where I just saw this movie yesterday and I can't tell you what they talked about or what their vignette was about. What did you think of sort of the success from one to the other? Did you see that contrast or or was it different? Yeah, I, I mean, some of them are just meant to take you by surprise and are just kind of, I mean, I think that opening one and now I'm going to forget the, what is the, the name of the Italian actor? Who's in uh, Roberto Benini. So yeah, I think that one is just, it's just kind of meant to take, you know, take you by surprise. Then if you've seen, you know, the Jarmuches down by the law, you, and just this idea that like this random guy meets this other guy and they have this brief conversation and then one just out of like pleasantness or some kind of bizarre solidarity agrees to take the other guy's dental appointment. <laughs> yes. I, I, I always think of that as kind of quintessential Jarmush, you know. The promise of something so totally bizarre that, but that could, but that probably could never, but that could maybe could happen when it's kind of like quick on its feet and surprising, um, and kind of keeps moving and is fresh. It's it's more interesting. Um, but you're you're right, and and I think that I mean Kate's um, vignette doesn't have that, but it's just that she carries it, and I guess that there's enough novelty. And us just kind of like looking to one, looking to the other and cueing in from the fact that she can pull it off and convince us that these are two different people. So what, 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 when you, when you say fresh, what, which ones are you thinking of? Which one did you like most? I think particularly the, the first one, actually. That's the most kind of surprising to me and like the spirit of just being genuinely funny. And then probably the Bill Mary one, but it's only because the absurdity and the obviousness that like Bill Murray isn't working at a cafe. So this kind of collision of what we know about the film world versus this kind of fake world of this supposedly, you know, yeah. very modest, innocuous cafe. Like, where are we? What kind of world is this? And, you know, I think the ones where there's sparkle in the dialogue, basically. No, I, I was just going to say that I also like the Bill Murray one. And I thought that I like what you said about that there is a spark and a freshness to it, because even though he is playing something familiar, which is the Bill Murray that we see, like you said, in every performance he gives. But there's also like there's a joke about how addicted he is to coffee and he keeps drinking from a coffee pot straight. And so it's there is a little bit of unexpectedness, like and they never answer the question of why is he a waiter in this cafe? And so that one was fun. Um, I also like, I think we already talked about it. I like the Molina, uh, Steve Coogan one. Steve Coogan is an actor I don't respond to at all. But but Molina was so affecting. Like, I think he's probably yeah. the, the only person in this movie who is giving like a real performance because he has like this character and you, you sort of, he has an arc where he goes from eagerness to disappointment and he sort of keeps changing his emotional and his emotional stance and his mood changes as the scene unfolds so in this movie that's sort of like it's a joke but he's giving like he's taking it seriously and I found myself moved by him yeah no you're right that this is that's probably the only I mean well actually that the Molina um skit 
and a Kate Blanchett's kid are probably the only two kids that like clearly have the narrative arc. And you know, there's even this kind of various points of reversals. I mean, and, and Molina, right, is very like classic reversal or maybe two, right? I mean, there's the reveal of, oh, we're related. So that what does that change? Then there's the other guy pushing Molina off and then discovering that actually he's more of a bigger fish than, right? He's a bigger fish than he'd originally thought and then wanting to make contact and then not working. So yeah, so that's like very, in terms of scripting, it's very tightly written. Uh, and it's true that Molina's character is the only one who seeking a real emotional connection. Yeah. So if you're listening to this podcast, I would say the Kate Blanchett one is definitely one to watch. I wouldn't sort of recommend all of these. Um, you can sort of skip through or you could just watch the Kate Blanchett one on YouTube. I think if you like Kate, I think this is sort of a good 11 minutes showing you some of the things that, as we talked about, she's good at what she does best. And obviously, she's also having fun with with the whole thing. So it's a time well spent, I think. But Ella, I wanted to ask you about Jim Jarmusch in general. So Jim Jarmusch is a, a director, I have to say, I don't have a sort of firm grasp on him. I have seen many of his movies. There are some I haven't. So of his movies, the one that I can really unabashedly say I loved is Patterson. And I think that's maybe um, a little different than than his other movies. I love that movie in, because it was sort of about an artist who may be not a good artist, but also sort of like how determined he is to be. And um, it just had a lot of, it, it was modest and it, it had a lot of generosity for its, for its characters. And I love that about it. And I just thought, um, Adam Driver was so great. Um, you know, we're talking about Kate here doing this heightened stylized performance where she is doing um, acting with her whole body and working with the makeup artist and with the costumer to create this character. Like Adam Driver in Patterson does none of that. And it's one of those performances that is way too subtle, but it's just still affecting. Like, I think it's, I think maybe the direction to him was like, do less, do less, do less, because he doesn't do much, but it's mm -hmm. still really affecting. Um, so what do you, in general, what do you think of, I just talked about Jim Jarmusch, but I want to hear you. What do you, in general, think yeah, of? No, I mean, it's interesting if I were to say how to sum up Jim Jarmusch, because he's, um, because he has almost a place for me, like this, chameleon quality which what, what is quintessential Jarmusch because I used to think of Jarmusch as this and and, and again I, I haven't seen I haven't rewatched his filmography in so long but you know I, I remember loving the early Jarmusch which is being so goddamn funny and and for this exhilaration of look how little you need which is the exhilaration of independent cinema right of American mm -hmm. independent cinema in general look how little you need to make a movie you know a bunch of people and and this kind of great equality that you see in coffee and cigarettes um that is so unlike what his films are looking like now um was certainly very very appealing to me you know that if you you just have kind of situational humor and are good with lines and find these quirky characters that you can convey the atmosphere of what it's like, you know, to guys walk into a bar kind of thing. Um, 
it feels very urban. But the other film that I love, The Only Lovers Left Alive, is so stylized. Mm, yes. And Patterson, even though you're probably right that they've been told to like under, you know, not to perform like in any kind of very heightened way, even that feels very scripted to me. And, and, and this is much more like a traditional drama. Yeah, it is. It is like, that's like a very good way to put it. Like, I think Patterson, when I said it was different, you sort of nailed it on the head. It's more of a traditional movie as opposed to sort of these, to your point, these sort of like fun exercises that he does. I mean, Only Lovers Left Alive, I think there was a narrative and a story and it is a movie I saw and loved, but I don't remember anything about what the story was. I just thought it was really cool to to watch and I and it's sort of a mood. And, um, you know, to watch Tilda Swinton being a vampire and it, w- it looked great and everybody looked great. And that's what I remember yeah. from this mood of enjoying it as opposed to any narrative beats. Yeah, and it's, and, and it's interesting, right, because such romanticism in that film, such mood in that film. And it's interesting because like when I think of early Jarmusch, I don't think of mood think of Malik that way but not of Charmers but I you know but that that's but that also makes you curious and excited I and mean, if we talk about Jarmers in five ten years you know which Jarmers will we be talking about and uh and maybe that's also an indication that he's searching yeah. always for a new language and what is and and what is possible and what is available to so um if we if we want to bring it back to Kate Blanchett to sort of end this conversation I was thinking about like what does somebody like her and in 2003 she was sort of at the height of her ability and at the height of her stardom I think as she's shown us this year in in Mrs. America her ability hasn't waned or wavered but I think in 2003 she was like at that at at the height of sort of her stardom. It was a few years after Elizabeth. She was just about to win an Oscar mm-hmm. for playing Catherine Hepburn. What does she get out of taking, I don't know, a week, three days to just play with Jim Jarmusch? Um, and when I was thinking about what she got out of that, I always, I remembered listening to her in an interview where she said, um, it's never about the part and it's never about um, what I get to do, but it's who I'm in conversation with. Um, and I think maybe she just wanted to be in conversation with Jim Jarmish. Or maybe just coffee and cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I mean, I think that um, I think that you're right. I mean, I think that the you know the actors and performers that we end up admiring the most, and you know, Kate Blanchett is an example. Kate Winslet is an example. Isabella Ferrer is an example. I mean, all of these are actresses who again and again say that it's about the experience it's about the director it's about wanting it just really saying you know i'll go out of my way i want to work with that person yeah Um, no big or small or you know two day or 20 day shooting kind of thing but more of Go after that voice. I don't know. I, I would imagine that what you get out of it that is it also it, it keeps you it keeps you going, keeps you excited, mm-hmm. uh, it, and it keeps you thinking. Until this Swindon, who's also worked with John, which is yet another example of an actress like this, right? I mean, she's done um, experimental film. You know, she'll do um, uh, a short movie with Amadovar, but she'll go on and do an experimental video, and she's mm-hmm. worked with 
artist in London a lot, right, since the 70s or 80s. And has been kind of consistently building a career, as has Kate Blanchett, that that has all these different components. And I think if you keep your world big enough and varied enough, um, you know, it it gets you, I think it it keeps you on your toes. You don't settle, because if you settle too much, then, then you start repeating yourself. And certainly, particularly with someone who's of a caliber of a Kate Blanchett, who's going to have Hollywood roles coming our way, you have to particularly fight for that, right? Because you yeah. have a lot of incentive to settle and to kind of replicate yourself and duplicate yourself in very similar roles. And the industry always um, encourages that. Yeah. It doesn't so, encourage risk in that way, right? So nobody's going to fight. And I think also that's why actresses who, you know, who are good and who sustain these incredible roles and are and continue keep, keeping us as the audience challenge insist on this kind of engagement with particular directors because uh, that's also an insisting on taking risks. So um, is there anything you wanted to say about Jarmusch or coffee and cigarettes that we haven't touched on? Do you want to say before we end? I think who hasn't seen his work, just watch the movie. Wait for Kate. Like, <laughs> uh, no, because it's also interesting. No, because I mean, I, I, the little defense, like who absolutely loves Kate and is saving herself or himself only for her parts, then by all means. But other than that, I think that there's a lot of joy of like going from skit to skit. Mm-hmm. and how she slides into it and like how these because it's I think um I only say watch it because I think now that we're at home so much and that we're not congregating absolutely anywhere and our coffee is probably to go and hopefully cigarettes are out of the question <laughs> it's nice to kind of dive into that mood you know and um and to spend you know an hour and a, and a bit and it's short. It's only an hour and 36 minutes. Yeah, and, and that kind of flow, because I think it's also meant to have this kind of randomness of people that walk in from all walks of life, from some kind of dubious mafia guys, which we didn't talk about that skit, but, yeah, uh, you know, to a random chick who's like, unfortunately, looking for the magazines, looking at arms and... Sinister, also like very American, very sinister, but mm-hmm. here in a particularly playful way. Yeah, and th- there is a range, definitely, in the stories, in the performances, in the in all in the conversations, in the way. Like I think he he worked with three different cinematographers, not just one. And like the movie, I think the Robert Benini one was shot in nineteen ninety six, ninety seven. So it's like they're, right. they're shot over a long, actually not not even the 90s. It was in the 80s, 1986, not 1986. Yeah, so there's like a 17 years between when he started the project and when we we see this finalized version. So yes, I would I would second what you were saying. That definitely watch it all. Um, I was just saying that you know some of them don't work as much, but you know it's fine. They're yeah, no more than yeah, 15 okay. minutes. But I mean, I also love, you know, I mean, Jim Jarmus. The other thing is that regardless for what you think he's going or, or you know, and, and to what extent it works and how he's stretching himself, he is somebody who who insists on, on the value of, of this art experience. I mean, as you said in Patterson, um, it's touching, you know, I mean, it's there is this 
very, you know, not overblown, not sentimental, not saccharine, but never, nevertheless insistent on having this constant connection with, with art, with art of cinema, uh, with storytelling, and what it means to us. So, I mean, in that sense, you know, drama, like David Lynch, for example, is just one of those directors who came out from much, much smaller movies and now is increasingly on a much larger stage, but nevertheless, you know, retains some kind of core commitment to to the craft and I think to the magic of cinema and the way that he understands it. So it's it's just, it's great. I mean, thank you really for, you know, for giving me the opportunity to rewatch the film and kind of reconnect with that. That's something that we, I think, as an audience, I never get tired of. Yeah, yeah. Um, and thank you, Ella, for coming on Sundays with Kate. I enjoyed our conversation. You were a wonderful guest. Um, and before we leave, let our listeners know where they can find you and your work. Oh, sure. So I write about film for um, a wide variety of publications. I mean, in, in London for Sight and Sound, in New York for Film Comment, which now functions as this um, in the semi-form as a newsletter and an online, I think there's also an online component, if I'm correct, and podcasts. I was recently on a Film Comment podcast, so I'm a long-term contributor. Um, in New York, um, you know, I get to be wonderfully edited and and be amongst really tremendous cinephile voices when I write for the online publication called The Reverse Shot. Um, Reverse Shot is also wonderful. Um, I write for art publications. I write for Hyperallergic a lot about experimental cinema as well, um, as well as, you know, what's coming out hopefully soon to the, the local repertory theater when, when they come back and I also have my own website that's lysaria.com L-Y-S-S-A-R-I-A.com Thank you, Ella. And you can find me on Twitter at M-E underscore says and you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Sundays with Kate. And until next time, thank you for listening.